Well, again, good morning. Uh, this video is so appropriate for today, and, and you'll see more as we unpack our time together. As I said, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Community Life here, and I'm so excited that you're here today. Today we finish off a short series that we've been in called Follow Me. And what we've been trying to get at is Jesus says these words all the time to people as he encounters them, and what he exactly means, and, and what are the implications of these words. And each week we've challenged you to respond um, in some ways, whether it's been a call to faith or a call to leave something behind for the sake of the gospel. And in every service over two cities on both campuses, people have responded. Every single service for the last two weeks, people have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And my hope is that today is no different. You know, the, the beauty of, of watching this unfold is because it's been all sorts of people. It's been, you know, men and women, young and old, longtime church people that you'd say, there's, there's no way they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And, and people who just showed up that day. My prayer this week has been, each and every time we're in here today, it would be no different that people would come to a knowledge of Jesus and to truly follow him. Well, I've shared with you this before, um, that my family and I have been kind of on a journey of getting uh, our finances under control for the past about eight or nine months. And we've, we took a pretty significant amount of money out to finish our three college degrees. And, uh, and, and that, that, those decisions have taken their toll on us uh, for quite some time. And, and so over the past nine months or so, uh, ten months, We've been trying to think through new ways of thinking about money, of spending differently. Uh, But the question at every turn has been, do I want the change enough to pay the cost? Now, I don't mean the cost monetarily, right? I've I've already proven, uh, if you've seen my checkbook, that I'm very good at spending money. I mean, <clears throat> thank you, both of you. And um, uh, I, I, what I'm talking about is the cost of change. Every change in our life requires some sort of cost, whether it be emotional or mental or spiritual or physical or all, all of these. Do I want a new way of doing life enough to stop using credit cards, to buy only what I can, to use the methods that people have given me to say, hey, you can do this. But the question is, is do I really want to more than I want other stuff? You know, everything in life actually has a cost. And to be honest, you've probably been in some situation like this in your life before, where you've been faced with paying a cost and you wrestle with whether or not you're willing to pay it. You've probably been in a situation where you've had the cost of doing one thing as a family or as an individual and recognizing that if you choose to do that thing, you can't do the other thing. You just don't have the resources. You don't have the time. This even exists in relationships, right? I mean, just on a, fundamentally, on a fundamental level, if I choose to spend time with one person because they have not given you the gift of my clone, yeah, yeah. That would be terrible. Um, (laughs) I can only be in one place at one time. 
So if I choose to spend time with, some, with one person, I, I can't spend time with another. There's a cost involved in my choice. Everything has a cost. And Jesus is no different. Here at Beach Point, we are not what you call a bait-and-switch community. Where we're going to tell you that Jesus is all like buttons and rainbows and cats. That's the internet, okay? Um, apparently cats are a big deal. I have no idea why. They're useless. Um, so... Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's, just, that's not even in my notes. I don't, shouldn't say that. Uh, you know, but, but we're, us here at Beach Point, we want to just tell you, this is the, this is the call of Jesus. And, and today, I, I'm here to tell you, the things I'm going to talk to you about, the cost of following, I have been continually paying since I first heard his voice, and I wouldn't have it any other way. That it's a cost that's worth paying. And this really is my message in a sentence, something we call the big idea. So I want to encourage you to reach inside your bulletins, grab your note page, and and take notes and follow along. You'll remember way more of what you uh, write down than what you simply listen to. And so my message in a sentence, the big idea is this, that only Jesus brings real life, but it'll cost you everything. And I know that doesn't match your note page. Um, I changed it uh, this week, so cross stuff out. Um, So only Jesus brings real life. But it'll cost you everything. The reality is, though, that just like with my finances, that though there is a cost involved when it comes to walking with Jesus, I am the beneficiary of the cost. Right? The cost is total and complete. Right? It's not a down payment system, or for those of you who are old enough to remember this, walking with Jesus is not a layaway plan. Okay, you don't just like, I'm just going to put a little in, and then I'll come back later, I'll put a little in. It's a daily cost of our very selves to be transformed into being his and doing life his way. That again, though, just like I said, the, the beauty of this is that I'm the beneficiary of it. Jesus pays the cost for me to be in relationship with him, and we'll unpack that in a little bit. But I'm the one that receives the benefits. He dies so I can live. He pays so I can gain. Right? The, the, the cost to benefit ratio here is really stacked in my favor. Even though it will cost me everything, as we'll unpack in a little bit, it actually costs Jesus more so that I could have an even greater benefit than the cost. So, in order to, uh, to see this in the text, I want to encourage you, whether you want to grab your mobile device or a Bible, open up to Matthew 16, chapter uh, 16, rather, verse 24. If you want to use the Bibles in the racks in front of you, it's on page 983 in those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible um, and you're interested in the teachings of Jesus, we encourage you to take one of those home as a free gift to you. We have plenty more. We'll replace it. Well, as you're turning there, I want to set the stage for what's happening and what's been happening in Jesus and, and his followers. Jesus has just been, um, and, and his followers have just been in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And, and this city is really important to note because it is the home of a very particular form of worship. Um, and and the, in the city of Caesarea Philippi, there's something called the Gates of Hades, or quite simply, the Gates of Hell. And you're like, oh, I don't want to go there. But actually, um, this, this had a kind of a different connotation. It was dedicated to worshiping the god Pan. Pan was the god of mischief, nature, and fertility. And um, like, his, uh, 
like his, his uh, God status would, would tell you, um, to worship him uh, would be to take large quantities of controlled substances and to sleep with everyone there. Um, that was how you worshiped Pan. And if, you're, if you've ever wondered like, oh, where did the, the legend of Peter Pan come from? It came from here. This is its roots, right here, the God Pan. And, uh, <clears throat> and Jesus is in the middle of that place, people doing all that stuff, and he looks at one of his disciples, one of his followers, and he says, hey, you, you're going to play a huge role. He looks at a guy named Peter and says, you're going to play a huge role in the building of the church, and even this place will not be able to stop it. Even these uh, destructive habits will not be able to stop it. And after he finishes talking to Peter, he kind of turns you know, maybe you've done this, right? As a family um, discussion, you realized you were talking to one of your children or you were talking to one of your friends and then you realized, oh, this is actually a bigger conversation than just the one person. It's kind of a big family conversation. That's kind of what happens in this moment. Jesus is having the discussion with one and then he turns and says, now it's time for a family discussion. And this is where we find ourselves. So would you read along with me in verse 24? Then Jesus said to his disciples, now if you've never heard this word before, it just means student or follower. That's all it means. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now I want to tell you right off the bat, um, we could be in here for about the next week just unpacking verse 27 and 28. So I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I don't have time to unpack all that's going on there. But I'm on the patio on, in, you know, each weekend, and I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and talk more about it if you'd like to. So, um, so that being said, uh, <clears throat> where we find ourselves here is that Jesus, right after declaring that nothing will stop his way from invading the world, he turns to his followers and he says that there is a cost. That there is a cost to following him and that those who follow him must do so his way. There is no such thing as Jesus's life done Jason's way. It doesn't exist. And maybe you've been fooling yourself for some time that, that, yeah, I just sort of like sprinkle Jesus, right? Like Jesus and. And I'm here to tell you this morning that this is one of those texts that, man, it's kind of a line in the sand with Jesus, but I think it's a very tender line in the sand. It's a line in the sand where he says, you don't understand. You can't do it that way. It just doesn't work. So I want to give you the first cost uh, to following Jesus, and the next thing I want to encourage you to write down, and then we'll unpack it, and it's this, that we have to lose our way of life to find real life. That we have to lose our way of life to find real life. <clears throat> Jesus looks at the people who are, who are coming after him, who are, who are trying to follow him, and he says that what it requires is the death of one thing 
for the life of another. Right? And there's all sorts of these examples in our lives that something has to end before something can begin. Right? I'm a gardener. I, I love to garden. It's, it's something that I've, I've, I've taken up in my, in my younger, older days. And, um, <clears throat> and, and in order for me to create good soil, the best kinds of soil comes out of what? Compost. Rot. Death. But out of that, I can have the best possible harvest. Right? So Jesus is saying that there is no way that you can come after him in your own systems, in your own methods, in your own plans. That it doesn't work. And again, though, I think, as I, as I said, this is one of those tender line-in-the-sand moments where Jesus says, you don't understand. The benefit is all yours. That once you've paid the cost and you've come into the benefit, you will say it was, in fact, no cost at all. Something has to die. Our way of doing life has to die for us to embrace his way. And for some of our brothers and sisters throughout the world right now, for those of you who are you know, following current events, this has actually meant their very life. That they, it has cost them their very life. And they would tell you if they were here today and told you in a video, I am exactly where Jesus has me because I'm exactly where Jesus is. In other words, that the cost is no cost at all. And so, but for most of us right now, to be honest, it, it probably is not going to come to whether or not you're going to have to make a life or death choice. But I love the way one commentator says it, and so I threw it up here on the screen, uh, and you can read along. It says this, In our day and generation, it is not likely to be a question of martyrdom, meaning dying for your faith, but it still remains a fact that if we meet life in the constant search for safety, security, ease, and comfort, if every decision is taken from a worldly-wise and prudential motives, we are losing all that makes life worthwhile. And I love this line right here. Life becomes a soft and flabby thing when it might have been an adventure. The soft and flabby thing is Jesus' life done your way. The adventure is saying, I will pick up my instrument of death, my cross, and I will put to death my way. Through your power, God, through your transformation. Not through anything I could do, but through what you would do in me, God. This is what Jesus offers, right? He tells us that right from the get-go, he has an agenda. And the Apostle John tells us Jesus' agenda. So some of you, maybe, you, you know, church is a newer thing for you. Or you kind of always wonder, like, I feel like Jesus has an agenda. Let me be a spoiler for you. He absolutely has an agenda for you. It is not hidden. It is, in fact, something beyond what you could ever dream or imagine. I love the way one commentator says it when he, when he, re, he interprets John 10.10. 10, and I'll throw it up here on the screen. It says, a thief is only here to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. This is Jesus' agenda for your life. A life beyond anything you could dream of. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I can dream up a pretty good life. I have a very vivid imagination. So says my mommy. Okay? 
I can dream up something pretty great. And Jesus says, my agenda for you is something beyond anything you could dream of. That is astounding. That his, his goal for us is not to control us, but to bring life beyond anything we could ever think of. But it's right past the cost of ourself. True and real and full and abundant life lies just beyond my way. Think of it this way. Uh, I, coach a, I coach a baseball team with, uh, with some friends of mine. And the other day at practice, we were, we were doing tee work. And we were, you know, which means that, you know, the ball's on the tee. And we're working on mechanics to make sure that they hit the ball correctly, um, which is a feat in and of itself. Um, because uh, the, someone thought in, in the history of sports that it would be a good idea to have two-hour-long practices with eight-year-olds. I don't know who thinks that, but it's a bad decision. They have eight-minute attention span, so you do the math. And, um, and so, <clears throat> you know, everybody's hitting, things are going well, everything's going well. And then I get this one kid, and he starts to be a little chatty, right? And he's starting to, like, you know, just get kind of giddy and kind of be himself, and he, I love this kid. He's just, he's so nuts. I love him. And, um, and so as he's jibber-jabbering, um, I'm putting, I put the ball down on the tee. Now, before I can remove my hand, he takes a swing. Thankfully, he actually hit the ball correctly, which was a feat in and of itself. Um, and he hit the ball dead on, and he didn't hit any of my fingers or my thumb. Had he done that, I mean, I, you know, I would have been like, uh, you know, like a T-Rex. I would have just, I mean, it would, he swung hard, but, and he hit the ball right into my hand, and I was like, son of a nutcracker! You know, um, I literally said that, and I was like, please don't swear, please don't swear, please don't swear. And uh, not that I would do that. I mean, somebody else less spiritual would do that. But, um, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm just like, ah! And, you know, everybody's like, you know, the other coaches are like, bats down! And everybody puts their bats down, and, you know, we kind of, it was the end of practice. Literally, the guy, the kid only had like three more swings and practice was over, okay? And it's like, you know, he just, he just was excited. What was he doing, though, in that moment, ultimately? He was trying to hit the ball his way instead of the way his coach told him to, right? You got to focus on the ball, step into the ball, see the ball. If he would have seen the ball, he would have seen that my hand was on the ball, okay? Um, <laughs> And you don't swing at it. <clears throat> but he didn't. He tried to do it his way. And he, I mean, he freaked out. He thought, like, this is it. You know, my coach is going to kill me. Um, and I'm still plotting that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but this is the reality when it comes to me coaching my son and these other, 12 bo- or these other 11 boys. Their way has to die for them to learn it the correct way. They can't play real baseball in their way. Because if they play it their way, they're just going to hit your face with a bat. You know, or they're going to hit your hand. Or they're going to, you know, throw a bat. Or they're going to, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. But their way has to die. The same thing is true for you and me when it comes to following Jesus. Our way has to die. And the beauty of this, though, and this is the next thing I want you to write down, is this. That nothing is, a, is worth as much as his way of life. That nothing is worth as much as his way of life. 
So in verses 24 and 25, Jesus says there's got to be something that dies. There's, there's a cost. There's, there's got to be something that's put to death. But then in verse 26, he, he says, no, 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 you don't understand. There's a cost of not paying the cost. And that is not receiving what matters most. Not receiving his way. I mean, <clears throat> Jesus tells his followers, he, you know, he poses this question, right? What can a person give in exchange for their soul? Now, we have all sorts of different ideas of what soul means, and the scripture uses the word different ways. But the word soul in this context is the same word when he talks about a, a way of life. Soul and life in this context are the same word. It's the word psyche. And it means life. The fact that you're alive, that you breathe, that you move. Jesus is essentially saying, what could you pay in exchange for a real life? And the cost, as he goes throughout his teaching, is that there's nothing we could ultimately do to pay that cost. And so God did it for us. I love the way one, one uh, researcher on scripture says it. So I put it up here on the screen. says, it's perfectly possible to gain all the things we have our hearts set on. And then to wake up one morning and find that we have missed the most important things of all. Haven't you ever had a moment like this? Where you've woken up and it all of a sudden clicks. How did I get myself into this mess? Like how did I arrive here? Why did I get that haircut? Okay. No, this one is obviously not. But, um, <clears throat> right, like we have these moments where all of a sudden there's a clarity. There's this moment of clarity where we realize, I don't want this. This is the exact opposite of what I want. My bitterness and my negativity and my, my self-centeredness how did, I, how did I trick myself into believing that that was a method of, of having a real life? Because every time I buy into that, all I am is stressed and, and unhappy and unfulfilled. And Jesus poses the question to his followers then and I think to us today. What do you think you can really give in exchange for a real life? Do you think anything's not worth it? I mean, if, imagine if you would transport yourself to being a fly on the wall at the end of your life. On the one hand, there's a person who ultimately realizes that their life was a soft and flabby thing. That they woke up, did their day, and went to bed. Every day, day in and day out. And then on the other hand, there's the person who dies saying, that was a great adventure. When posed this way, I find it very difficult to believe anyone that would say, yeah, I'll choose the soft and flabby thing. No, because we are meant for adventure. And I don't mean like earthly adventure. I mean God's adventure, right? I'm not a very adventurous guy. Some people in my family love to go camping. I'm like, yeah, that would be great. Where's the nearest hotel? Um, they're like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be so fun. We're going to go camping, and there's no toilets. Mm, have fun. Yeah, yeah. Where do I get my massage? 
Okay, that's what I want to know. Um, where do I get my, you know, deluxe, just, mm, where's the fluffy robe? Okay, like, I don't have earthly adventure type stuff, right? People are like, let's go on a road trip, it'll be awesome. I'm like, yeah, sweet, I'm going to spend a bunch of money on gas and get lost. Okay, like, no, I don't have that drive for adventure. But you know what? Every time I step closer and closer to Jesus, I recognize that the adventure that I'm drawn into is bigger than I can ever comprehend. And it's bigger than just a road trip or a camping trip. It's a, it's a life. It's real and full. He says there's, there's a cost to be paid if we choose not to. And the ultimate cost then is, is that you won't have a real and full life. You have something that maybe looks like life, that every so often feels like life, but it's not an adventure that you embark on each and every morning of saying, Jesus, I don't know what you're going to do with me today, but it's going to be the best. Jesus calls us to put our way of life to death and to live in such a way that we understand that nothing is worth more than his way, his adventure, that it's only him and his way. And this is actually the next thing I want you to write down. It's that only Jesus can give what matters most. Only Jesus can give what matters most. Notice in this point, by the way, it's can give. Most of us approach Jesus, I'm going to be honest, I've, I've been a pastor now for over 15 years. Almost every counseling session that I have with somebody, the, the root of the problem is that person trying to earn God's love. Trying to earn God's approval through what they do, through their way through their methods, through their offerings, through their church attendance, through their, 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 their. And I could diagnose it almost the second the person opens their mouth. Because they say it like this. See, I've just been, I've just been. As opposed to recognizing, oh my gosh, the greatest thing I could ever have in my life is completely 100% free. Only Jesus can give it. But I have to actually receive it. And guess what? There's no cost in the actual receiving of his grace, of his love, of his faith, of faith in him. Right? Paul says in Ephesians 2 that it's for, for it is by grace you've been saved. Grace, it means an undeserved gift. Through faith that Jesus is who he says he is. And this is not from ourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Essentially here, through, through Paul, Jesus is saying that when we think our lives are the only thing that should matter, we're missing what really matters. We're missing the reality that I have access to the unbelievably massive and unbelievably present God of the universe who says to me, I want to give you what no amount of money, no amount of time, no amount of resources could ever bestow upon you. And the result of that thing 
is an adventure that we will go on together. This is ultimately a question of pursuit. Are you pursuing Jesus' way or are you pursuing your way? In this, we find that nothing matters more than his way of life and nothing we can ever do can buy it or earn it. It's an issue of surrender. Some people say that they think the greatest statement of the Christian faith is that there's nothing you can ever do that'll make God love you any less than he does right now. For me, I'm a pretty performance-driven person. So for me, the greatest statement of my Christian faith is this. There's nothing I can ever do that will make God love me any more than he does right now. I have to let go of earning. And I have to be in a place of receiving. Of surrender to say, Jesus, I don't know how to do what you're asking me to do. I cannot do it on my own. I have to have your help. I have to have your way of even getting to your way. Because I can't do it. Do we daily wake up and seek God and his will for our day and our week and our life? Or are we too busy pursuing our way and our will? And what about you? Do you wake up each day embracing the adventure? Or is it just another day that ends in why? Is what you're pursuing the best possible life that produces what Jesus says is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Is that what is being produced in you as you pursue Jesus? Or are you trying to do Jesus' life your way and you're missing out on those things? Do you have an abundant adventure called life with Jesus? Or does your life feel like everyone else's life? You get up, you go to work, try not to get too frustrated with somebody, go to bed, do it all over again. Do you think about life through the lens of you and God together? Or is it your life that God has to couch himself in? Does God have to fit in your mold? And by the way, I just want to be clear. This is a process for sure. This kind of transformation of allowing God to come in and take over, it's a process with ups and downs. Just like I said with my, my process of trying to get my finances. It's got ups and downs. Times where I'm doing better at it and times where I'm not doing as good at it. But the question, though not an easy one, is still very simple. Is your goal to wake up every day and pay the cost of following Jesus to receive what you cannot buy? Or are you doing it your way? What if Beach Point Church was the sort of people whose lives were so transformed by the daily encounters that we had with Jesus, that it showed up in our homes, the way we treat our children and our spouse, 
at our jobs, the way we see our coworkers, not as obstacles or objects, but as human beings beloved by God. To the person at the cash register when we pay somewhere, that they're not just someone who just moves too slow for our way of life, but they're someone who has hopes and dreams and fears that is made by God. What if it showed up in the way we drove our cars or in the way that we texted people, in the way that we posted on our social media sites, that in each of those ways, people saw something so uniquely different that they said, oh my God, literally, oh my God, that's life. That's real. And I've been searching for it my whole life. I didn't even know it until now. The response from today, and really the only response that we can have from a series called Follow Me, is this. Choose whom you'll follow and start walking. Again, it doesn't mean you're going to walk every step in the right direction. It just means you're going to get moving. For some of you, this means today choosing to say yes to Jesus for the first time. You've been checking out church. You've been coming to church. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. And you've been, been content with church, churchianity. And today you're ready to say yes to Christianity, to Christ, to the one true living God. To say, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And today, from now on, it's going to make a difference in my life. For some of you, though, this means letting go of destructive patterns whether active or passive patterns, right, that cause you to pursue your way and your methods as opposed to God's way and his methods. For some of you, you've been walking with God and you've been content with kind of a soft and flabby walk as opposed to a daily adventure. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And, and when we pray, I'm, I'm going to challenge you and encourage you that, that as I make a call If today you're saying for the first time ever in your life, I I get it. I get Jesus. I don't understand how it's all going to work out. I don't understand what it's going to look like. But from today on, I'm going to follow. For the first time, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. We have a saying here. We've said it the last two weeks. Expression deepens the impression. And we say this sort of thing all the time in our lives. Remember, we don't say it out loud because it makes it more real. And we as here at Beach Point say, no, no, no. We say it out loud because it makes it more real. Or maybe you're here today and saying, I've been doing it my way, and I don't want to. I encourage you to raise your hand in just a moment as I pray. Would you guys bow in prayer with me? God, I... I confess to you that there's so much of my way that gets in the way of your way in me. God, I, I call to you now to, to change that, to make that different in me. That I would each and every day pursue you more and more. And pursue me less and less. 
And so today, if with everybody's head bowed and, and eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you're saying for the very first time in your life that you want to follow Jesus, would you just look at me and raise your hand from where you are? Yeah, I see you there. Yeah, I see you there. And if you're here today and you've been kind of in a cycle of your way and you're ready to say, I, I want to choose Jesus' way again and anew through his grace and his transforming power to choose to follow him, would you just raise your hand and look at me from wherever you're at? Yeah, I see you there. Yeah, I see you there. I see you there. Yeah, I see you there. Yeah. Jesus, for those who raise their hand to choose to follow you for the first time, I pray that today that they would simply be able to say to you, we're doing it together and I'm going to follow you. And for those who have said that they want to eliminate their way more and more and and choose your way more and more, I would say, I would ask Jesus that you would, in the same way, meet them where they're at and help them begin again to follow you in a new way and in an adventurous way. And for each of us, I pray that we would continue to choose less and less of ourselves and more and more of you.